0: This week on the podcast, float like a tiger, sting like a dragon. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reid, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge podcast. My name is Brian and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me for a discussion of Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon is one of those movies from the early 2000s that somehow I had never seen. And so I wanted to watch it and I made the other guys watch it and we talk about it and that's about all I can come up with cuz I'm tired and it's 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 been a week or two guys it's it's been kind of rough here we are Coming up on the you know end of June, early July of 2022, and if you look up those dates, you'll know why we're just exhausted. Anyway, uh, hey, if you if you want to know more about the show, subscribe to it, share it, share it on your social media feeds with your friends, and go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. There you can find links to all the ways to contact us. You can find our Twitter at Maghuge, you can find our Facebook, our Instagram, and you can find a link to email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, okay? Deep breath. Uh, Let's do the show. Hey
1: guys, we're back, and you are too. and We're happy you are.
2: Welcome. We are bienvenidos. Let's do the roll call. Okay.
0: I'm Brian. I'm Chris. I'm Eric. (laughs)
2: Hi, Eric. All right, and the magnificent,
0: huge podcast. Usually, it's it's another show. We're talking about movies and TV and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Billy. (laughs) i got a rock yeah. anyway not doing it not doing it
2: well how's everybody today good grad great uh
1: yeah i mean
0: you know yeah about like all. i mean
1: yeah as good as anything is these days but we're not talking about that because i can't no. I can't, there you I can't go. Go. talk about this is, it this is
0: your this is your escape from all of that. Yeah. This is this is the show where we talk about movies and TV and stuff and we start with a segment called The Fresh Shit. This shit is fresh. Oh shit it is fresh. This
1: stuff is really fresh fresh.
0: Alright. This is stuff we've been watching and doing the last couple weeks. Who has some fresh shit?
1: Uh, I absolutely do. But you go do ahead, it. Chris. What do you got? Do it. Okay. <laughs> I saw Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Oh, man. Okay, okay. How was it? Okay. I don't like biopics, but I like Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann has got style and energy, and every one of his films, he hits the ground running fast. And I realize this is perfect for a biopic. We start with uh, the framing element of the Colonel as an elderly man looking back on his time with Elvis. And... We go through all the early stuff with Elvis that most people know at such a breakneck clip that like the first half hour of the film, we're just being fed shit that happened and we're not spending too much time on it. And that's good. We don't need it. All we need to know is that Elvis was raised in a black community. He didn't steal anybody's shit. He was in that um, environment and mm-hmm. he soaked up all of this culture and so by the time he becomes Elvis he knows all of this you know music and all of this culture and that's what makes him him um uh-huh you yeah, know there's some stuff there's some stuff in there that's probably you know didn't happen that is unlikely um uh, but the but it, the point is it's the artist uh collecting the information he needs to create later. Um, The Colonel is really, he's really, this is a movie about Colonel Tom Parker, uh, played by Tom Hanks brilliantly, who finds this Elvis kid and says, I can make a sideshow attraction out of this kid and grows him into an enormous success. But it becomes a story of how there's the genius that's driving the, the whole machine, and then there's the hanger-on tick that's bleeding, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the artist that is, that is detracting. And it becomes basically a, a, a death struggle between them. And it is so amazing. Even though I know the story, they shape it in a way that it's really the tragedy of Elvis Presley and... How he was stalked by this uh, Colonel Tom Parker. Okay,
0: my wife is like that. Looks like a good movie, but I I'd have to listen
1: to Elvis music, and that was kind of why we didn't go. <laughs> yeah, that's another yet. thing. I, <laughs> I like mean, Elvis. No. There's some some Elvis stuff that is good. It and 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 I think actually this movie feels the same way about Elvis that I do. Those early songs are good. They're basic, but they're good. Mm-hmm. And then you get yeah. into, um the actual elvis music that he wanted to make which is the 1968 comeback special they spend a lot of time on the 68 special nice and mm-hmm. it says everything i like about it it's it's you know the sort of punk rock raw i'm doing this for me value of it it's the post movies elvis they don't spend a lot of time on that except to tell you he's in a lot of you know silly movies yeah uh, yeah
0: he's called the king of rock and roll
1: for a reason Right, yeah. and, <laughs> and then he does the Vegas shows, uh, which is a, a uh, uh, something that basically he gets tricked into by the Colonel, and that's you know sort of the beginning of the Cheese Elvis. There's like different eras of Elvis that are listenable, but uh, this this does kind of take sides and say that that stuff that's good, that's Elvis. <laughs> that stuff that's bad, that's commercialism making him do mm. things. Yeah. Um, okay.
0: Does Baz Luhrmann get weird with the Elvis songs, or does he play it straight? The trailer plays them pretty
1: straight. It's just high energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't He doesn't uh, Moulin Rouge it, though there, okay. are, there are some rap uh, uh, songs that are anachronistic as background music, but I think that's more to say, hey, that music you know now, it comes from this, because there's, there's some Jay-Z song that samples one of the songs that Elvis learned as a child. Okay. And it's, it's like, yeah, yeah. What you know now comes from this. It's, it's basically drawing a line, but it's not like, you know, s- there, there's no, there's no guy in a, uh, a speakeasy singing 99 problems. You know, it's not like that. So, <laughs> and they don't suddenly break into
0: a Nirvana song in the <laughs> middle of the Elvis right. show. Right. Yeah. Okay. So did they do, uh, uh-
2: like, all of the, the standard biopic tropes and just jazz it up Baz Lerman style? Because that's what it looked like to me, was it was just, I'm still going to yeah, see I, the same, like, walk the line, but it's going to be all glitzy and shiny
1: and hyperkinetic. That's what it felt like in the trailer. It is the chronological story of somebody who was actually alive, but it does, it almost seems like Baz listened to our show And addressed a lot of these issues, (laughs) particularly the idea of, you know, the, the guy saying, this is what happened to me. And then I found a guitar and then (laughs) I, and they they do that by framing it all through Colonel Tom Parker. He's like, I am a hucksta. And then I found Mm. this kid. And, you know, I said, I, you know, and he's he's very upfront about, I could make some money off of this rube. And I just, I always, but it's, that's why it's not Elvis's story. It's the Colonel's story of okay. ripping off Elvis.
2: Well, for me, it's just uh, like Dewey Cox, Walk Hard. That movie ruined me for any music bio- biopic that would ever get made after. Cause that's all I think about now when one of these comes out. It's just, you know, you don't want any part of this, Dewey. <laughs>
1: He's
2: like, I really do. <laughs> and it's just like that nugget. Uh, you know, or the wrong kid died. I mean, it's just all of those elements of Dewey Cox just bubble up anytime one of these surfaces and I'm just like, I, can't, I don't think I can do it with a straight face.
1: Yeah. I don't care who, it, who yeah, it's see, about. I just again, Yeah, the focus is the, the, the problem with a lot of those biopics for me is the focus is on the sort of inner struggle of the artist, you know? and this is not that. This is the artist creating in spite of the commercialism. You know, like he has, he, he, so much of this is I'm going to do the song the way I want to do it. Not, I, you know, uh, this happened to me Mm -hmm. when I was six and I never got over it. I mean, they do the whole thing with the death of his mother, but again, takes like less than three minutes. It's, it's very fast. All that shit, that nonsense, that background noise of a biopic, we go through it at breakneck speed. The real thing is. Nice. (laughs) Like the, like, the the like there's more time spent on the 68 special because Colonel Tom Parker s- sold it as a Christmas special, and he's like, you have to sing a Christmas song. And Elvis Presley's response is, go fuck yourself. I'm not doing it. And he ends up <laughs> making a special without any Christmas stuff, and it's a huge success. And at that, it's like, it's almost like the colonel says, okay, you were right, and I was wrong, and now I'm going to kill you. It's really <laughs> wonderful. Uh,
2: so, is Tom Hanks doing, like, a weird, a weird choice yeah. characterization? It's like, I hear it's, like, a he very does, strange well, for him.
1: Yeah, he's got a heavy Dutch accent, because the, the colonel was Dutch. But the thing is, most people, as I understand it, who were there for that time said, the colonel never had that accent. I don't know where that came from. So I think it's an <laughs> affectation to show you this is a foreign guy who's posing as a, you know... Okay. Gotcha. ...Southern Colonel. It's even a hilarious part where he says, What? I am from West Virginia! It's like... <laughs> is
0: it, I, maybe that's just a, if Tom Hanks sounds like Tom Hanks, he's too likable, and the character needs to be off-putting... Yeah. ...kind of thing, I wonder... Oh, but anyway,
1: his prosthetics are wonderful. He looks like a thumb. He is just so fat, and <laughs> he like goes all the way up his neck, and there are some very close close-ups, and- you cannot see the makeup line. He's got he's got a weird nose. You cannot see where the nose begins or ends. They did a good job. That or they went in and they digitally corrected it. But yeah. It the only thing that really lets you know it's Tom Hanks are the eyes and that voice. And so yeah, I bet that is probably why he put on an accent. You're right.
0: Mm. Intriguing. Okay. Awesome. I'm I'm interested in this one. I'm not sure I'm going to convince my wife to go to the theater to see it. So we'll see. I'm going to go. I'm going to um, see it a second
1: time. I, I want to see it again. Wow. But then again, yeah, I I've been Bass hearing Mormon good things. Yeah. What's and it called again? I am s, uh, Elvis. Uh, Elvis. What's okay. it called again? <laughs> um. Yeah. And and it's none of. It's not like I don't know a lot of gospel that would bug me. It's not a lot of Vegas Elvis. You do have to look, a, look up right. the Elvis on.
2: Well, I mean you like look at his career it's like And the Austin stages, Butler, that's...
1: by the way. Austin Butler was grown in a lab to play Elvis. It is amazing. Some of these shots, it's like, God damn it, he looks exactly like him.
0: <laughs> and
1: I look at other pictures of this actor and I go, God damn it, he looks nothing like him. And when they wow. get him in here, it's like, damn. Okay. Well, it's like uh Decades
0: of Elvis impersonators have perfected the technique of yeah. making someone look like Elvis. But you know, um, this makes me want to watch, uh, watch Honeymoon in Vegas now.
1: Yeah. If I can get anyone to go see Elvis uh, while it's still in the theaters, I've done my job. That's, that's the only fresh shit I got. Okay. All right. Bravo. Um,
0: I can go. I've got, I got a few things. Hit us. So, talking about movies and not going to see them in the theaters, right? Like, I go see a lot of movies, and I go to the theaters like almost every week. Um, and I haven't it, it been going the last few weeks, because even though it's summer movie season, the movies to see are like Jurassic World and Lightyear, and no, yeah, I'm not, no, we're not doing <laughs> even that. Even Brian has his no. limits. There's a line in the I sand. I saw Top
1: Gun, but I'm not doing that. So. I've heard that, yeah. that Jurassic Park is such a, a burning dumpster fire. Yeah, it's, it's like so I've heard of shit that's just just useless it's and goes the rise forward. of
0: Skywalker of Jurassic Park movies or something. But, um, but but when I was going to the movie theater all the time, they you know when the pandemic was when we we're coming out of the pandemic, like they rebranded all the shit that comes on before the uh, the movies, and it's this this company Nuvi N O O V I E that's just doing all of the marketing stuff. And they have this host who's using like the world's shittiest laptop camera against a zoom background, and you know, it, it clearly just coming from her house or whatever. And at the and in every one of these things that she's talking in front of the movie, she's telling us her name. Like I would know who the fuck she is. I'm Maria Menunos. You don't know Maria Menounos. Like, who the Menounos? shit is Maria Menunos? She used to be on like
2: Maria. a and, like. Uh, Hollywood whatever or Entertainment Tonight <laughs> or one of those
1: bullshit shows. She's one of those yeah. people, yeah. yeah. And she's yeah. in yeah. the Pentaverite. She runs... That, well, and that was where I was going. Pentavrit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm having all kinds of fun
0: with the fact that during the Pentaverite, she keeps showing up and every time she shows up, she has to say, I'm oh, Maria Menounos. Yeah, that's her shit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And... This place is I'm on fire. Like, Someone
1: get me the fuck out of here. Is- I'm Maria Menounos. I'm Maria yeah. Menounos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I've
2: even seen her stick I mean, on a, at like the gas station on the pump where you get the video thing. Yes. And it's like yes! and, then, and like she's fucking like, everywhere. Yeah.
0: All of a sudden no matter where I go, I'm Maria Menounos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So anyway, watch the rest of the Pentavrate. And mostly I wanted to just call out that and the fact that did you stick around to the very end of the last show of the Pentavrate is there's a clip of young Mike Myers uh, hanging out with the local Canadian news guy that that his hero character was based on. Yeah. Oh no. Like it's from sweet. the nineties. Yeah. Like c- clearly back then. So he's had this in the in the chamber for some time. <laughs> um, Good for him,
2: the Pantavra The
0: the, the action. Yeah. It's good. The Paterit was better than than I expected. Right? I was I was really expecting it to be dog shit, I but didn't it know. was it was a lot I didn't want to ruin any of it for you, but they
2: really go after the conspiracy nut jobs in a big way and I appreciate it. They do. It right. yeah. They do. Yeah.
1: And and Mike and, Myers and, has got a great history of like basically anything that's funny, I'll do it. Anything that I can jam in in the next 30 seconds that's a joke, I'll I'll jam in. Yeah. It, it almost makes it difficult to believe anything that happens that's in service of the plot isn't a setup <laughs> for a joke.
2: <laughs> it's basically it.
1: But but what was interesting was that the Bataveret also had
0: a point and a reason to be made, and, and it, it's very succinctly said towards the end of the last episode that the people need experts, and the experts need to give a shit about the people and tell the truth. Yeah. You know, you know or it doesn't work and that pretty much sums up all the reasons why we watch shows like the Pentavrit now instead of facing reality but anyway yeah, um, that's really deep bro <laughs> so, so the thing I did go out to a theater to do is I got to this was a first one for me on this one I got to go see the Ben Folds in actual person live for real tour um, they call it that yeah that's the name of the tour in actual person, <laughs> live for real. Um, this was just Ben Folds and a Grand Piano. No band. I'm surprised they didn't the just... Man.
2: They should have just called it that. <laughs> ben Folds and a Grand Piano. <laughs> well, you
0: know, the, it was funny because, like, um, the lead-in song before he comes on stage was One is the Loneliest, and then after he's done to play you out, they play it all by myself. Like, but... Um, winky, winky. But, um... I, I was so happy to finally get to see Ben Folds in any context. And the thing was, he broke the piano. <laughs> nice. Like, the damper pedal wasn't working right. And he would, like, hit a key and step back from the piano, and the key would keep ringing. He was, he was obviously thrown and pissed off by this broken damper <laughs> pedal. So there was literally an intermission that wasn't planned where a bunch of guys who worked there on a Sunday night somebody has to know how to fix a friggin' damper pedal on a piano and, like, go oh up on stage God. in front of <laughs> a thousand people and fix a piano, and in the end, all they could really do was take the front wood off the front of the piano so that if the thing got stuck up, Ben Folds could reach in with his hand and slap it back down, which he, <laughs> he proceeds to do for the rest of the show. That's pretty funk rock, um, right? It was, it was pretty wild. Um, there's a there was a song that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, he played, he played a lot of a lot of solo stuff, and he he plays the hits too. But he didn't play Brick. He deliberately did not play Brick, which I I'm happy with actually. Yeah. But um, there was a song. Um, you are capable of anything, which is what we tell our kids. But he's hearing that and going, "Oh God, yeah, we're capable of some really really bad things, aren't we?" <laughs> You could grow up um, which to is, be Hitler. Yeah. And then, oh, this is the only show, this was also on Father's Day. This is the only time this has ever happened to me in a venue. So during this intermission where the piano's broken, there's this huge lines for the men's room and no wait for the women's room. And it's, all the women are like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> but, <it's, laughs> um, but at this point in his career, Ben Folds knows the audience uh, wants to sing along with the songs and does not train them you know I've, I've seen like the Ben Folds live CD um, and he, the only thing he trained us on was the ah uh, business on you were not the same after that that we did other song where he's like hey if if you know the parts of this duet i sang with this other woman please sing them and it's a song called you don't know me and like half the audience is apparently all in choirs because they're all singing it perfectly and interacting <laughs> with him. <laughs> everyone and wants then, to be a performer and then uh, when he does army and it's the whole three parts you know with different you know different lines that overlap for the horns the whole audience knows it. He doesn't even ask. He's just like gesturing to us in the audience. Goes off and does it beautifully. It was pretty fun. Um, Jolene came out of that not. She, she wasn't really a Ben Folds person. And she came out of that show saying, okay, so he is a pianist first, a composer second, and a vocalist last. But where the hell is my jukebox musical? Because I'm listening to these songs, and I can totally see how they could make a jukebox musical out of all this and have a good plot and have it all work, and I'm like, she's right. Ben Folds
2: needs a jukebox musical. (laughs) That's it to be a t-shirt. Just wear that around everywhere now.
1: See if it happens. Yeah,
0: Ben Folds. Where is my Ben Folds jukebox musical? Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I thought that about Adam Ant for a while. He could get one.
0: I don't know. Um, Philip Prince Charming. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, he was also like saying I had this idea for a song and, and just started riffing on it and the audience all started singing along for a song called Everyone Lost Their Fucking Mind. Which, which was no awesome good. People lost their it
1: comes
2: the verse, and it goes
1: like this. Lost their Maybe I should have written it five years ago, it would have been it.
2: Well I mean that, that falls into like the on the B sides where he's just doing a sound check in the studio and that's all you get for those all y'all who are fan packs. I mean
0: it's, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, it was it was very that. It, it was very just you know, I five years ago I wish I'd have finished this song because y'all lost your fucking mind. You know? <laughs> nice, so. nice. These are the anyway, end that's my that's my fresh shit. Chris, what do you got?
2: Uh, well, speaking of end times, I was so bored this week that I ended up watching Scoob! Exclamation point, on HBO Max. Oh,
0: dude. <laughs> Which I've been circling for years. How, how have you run out of other things to watch? <laughs> uh, I
2: honestly just said I need something where if I fall asleep like, it's not gonna have matter. Have you
0: considered Domino Masters on, on, on Hulu where they knock dominoes over? Uh, <laughs> good god, no. Uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of good, but, um, <laughs> So
2: so <laughs> I watched Scoob not really knowing Scoob. other than they had uh, a cameo by Blue Falcon, which was one of my big jams as a, as a kid. I love Blue Falcon and Dynamut. So that's the only reason I watched this thing. And they fucking ruin it. Because it's basically, they start with an origin story of when Shaggy and Scooby met as puppies. Uh, and then fast forward to when they're hanging out with Fred, Velma, and Daphne. In the Mystery Inc. fan uh, as amateur detectives. This is all CG, right? Yeah, which is kind of weird okay. uh, to see. And then uh, the only saving grace is that Will Forte does the voice of Shaggy, and it works.
0: Um, and I think they got the original Shaggy, or, uh, Scooby voice guy. But uh, I thought Matthew Lillard was doing cartoon Shaggy these days. I think uh, he does do Shaggy's Maybe. voice in cartoons. There's so many of these things that come out that who knows, who
2: knows. But for this particular one, uh, like Scooby is some sort of descendant of some sort of uh, mystical Mayan dog breed, and then they bring in Dirk Dastardly with no muttly, uh, as the bad guy who's trying to find all these artifacts to open up a
0: portal to whatever. I mean, did they bring in Blue Falcon, but not Dynomutt?
2: Well, they eventually bring in Dynamutt at the okay, end. And then uh, and Blue Falcon is voiced by Mark Wahlberg and he's like the, the the trust fund son of the original Blue Falcon. And so he's just <laughs> he's just kind of a That's jackass. The first good idea. Yeah. So he's a jackass and then uh Dynamut is it's like the reverse of the cartoon show. So basically in the cartoon it was Blue Falcon was the straight edge smart you know, whatever, and Dynamut was the comic relief, just klutzy whatever, and they reverse it. And so Dynamut's basically like, Well, you're not your dad, so fuck you. I mean that's the vibe. And it's it's goofy. But they just throw out all of the like the Hanna Barbera like cherries. Like at one point they end up in this weird, like, island tropic paradise that's isolated and then Captain Caveman shows up, voiced by Tracy Morgan, and it's just it's just too much. It's just too much. There's no point for this at all, uh, other than to just cash in on the what? IP. No
0: Hong Kong fooey. You would think,
2: uh, but they. Uh, it's just.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I can. I can hear. I'm the Captain Caveman. I would pay for that. That would yeah. be awesome. <laughs> you can probably find it on
2: YouTube. Uh, so it's just goofy. And then, uh, I think Zach Efron voices Fred, and Ama- I think Amanda Seyfried. Does Daphne, uh,
0: and it's just, it's like that. Yeah, it basically it's like it, that seems unnecessary. Yeah, it's like basically like,
2: it's like watching Scooby Doo if you've never seen Scooby Doo before. Like people have heard of Scooby Doo and they thought, "Well, we'll make a Scooby Doo movie." That's what this is, and it's just
0: this. This sounds more like Scoob question mark than Scoob exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean me. it's it's just uh, <laughs> it's hyperkinetic. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and it's just, uh, I was just so thoroughly underwhelmed by the entire enterprise. It's like, man, I really should have just left this one alone. Cause it's like, it's bad enough that most of my childhood is being killed off one property at a time. But this is just
0: how many different times does Scooby-Doo have to get killed off before you'll stop. Like I, Scooby-Doo has sucked since forever.
2: <laughs> I don't actually watch yeah. a lot of Scooby-Doo. I don't know what sort of impression I've given you on that,
0: but I haven't watched Scooby Doo <laughs> since I was like, you know, well, f- like in grade school. I, that may be directed more at the
1: universe yeah. than, than you directly, Chris. Just yeah, stop has, it with Scooby Doo. Has the anyone Scooby-Doo. ever met yeah. like a hardcore Scooby Doo fan? That's what I wonder. It's like, exactly. why exactly all this attention is paid. I, the only reason to like Scooby and Shaggy is that they're cowards. They're the, like some of the few hero protagonists who are absolute cowards, but otherwise. Yeah. Zoinks! Yeah,
0: I don't know. Scoob. I mean, Scooby Doo worked as a as a baby boomer thing where they would bring pop culture into the cartoon. Right? That was like the whole gag was like, and now here's some fucking hippie band. Yeah, you know, with and, Sandy and now Duncan. Here's Kiss. No, that <laughs> yeah. was that was
2: late. That was like the mid '70s when they would do all those stupid uh, animated cameos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so, like yeah, uh, the one where Mama Cash shows up. I'm like. I think by the time I saw it, she was already dead, but I didn't yeah. know that at the time. So when you when you think about it now, you're like, ooh, that's that's creepy. But they do the one with Don Knotts, uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, yeah, it's just, just yeah, it's just yeah,
0: just have never cared. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just ever. it's very
2: very strange. But I mean, they do the whole the whole thing. It was like, hey, was Mister Johnson down at the old mill? Like, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you darn kids. Blah blah blah. I mean it's just like every Scooby episode is the same. And I guess that's why this ultimately yeah. failed. It's like well you, you made this giant animated movie and this is what you gave us. So I hope the kids watching it like it. I really do but it was a big dud for me.
0: Were, were there poop jokes and fart jokes? That's what's important in kids entertainment these days. Uh, I think they eschewed that. But uh oh we'll see that's why it's a failure then. Yeah. Okay. So. Scoob exclamation point. Anything else? Is that it?
2: <laughs> uh nothing I can really get into. I rewatched uh Oh, sorry. My cat's jumping all over here. Uh I rewatched the right stuff just to do it. And that's all I'll say about that. I miss Fred Ward. RIP. RIP, man. So. Uh yeah, they should that was,
1: They shouldn't have made all those TV shows about the space program. You just watch the right stuff, get it. Better yeah. yet, read or, it.
2: Or just read the book by Tom Wolf, really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's my public service announcement. Read the right stuff by Tom Wolf.
0: The more you know. And that's fresh it. Fresh goes fresh it fresh. All right. So this week's movie, um, I'm yet another early 2000s. Gee, I must have not watched a lot of movies. Back in that part of my life for reasons, uh, got to catch up on my backlog. Movie, uh, I had never watched Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon somehow. Somehow that and,
2: won the best picture uh, for so four I'm like, the hey,
0: th- there's a there's a podcast in that, right? Yeah, and it's probably easy homework for the two of you, so let's do that. And so, yeah, I watched Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon so, this week.
2: Let me ask you this had you s- Ever really watched many of the like the kung fu movies that this sort of stems no. from? The Wuxia, like the Shaw no, Brothers no and
0: stuff? No, no, nothing. I mean, only I mean, I've seen clips a million different ways, right. right? Like in various contexts, you know, people will show clips of this movie and other Wuxia and and you know, and Jackie Chan stuff and John Wu you know, like it, it it seeps into the culture, but I haven't sat down and watched any of these movies at all,
2: okay. So, so this is more or less your like your first go round with just watching a, a straight up martial arts film.
0: Well, I mean, I suppose I've
1: seen *Enter the Dragon*, but okay. that was a while—you know, yeah, made yeah. quite a bit earlier. Okay. But <laughs> this is I, I, when I saw this, and since I, I am not steeped in the Chinese uh, fighting movies that this is right. based on, that whole you know mythos, and that's why when it came out you know kind of still i think this movie is shit i don't really care it's really well done it's <clears throat> it's in in some places beautiful but i don't care you know <laughs> i don't care when they do this fighting stuff and it's really just an elevated version of sort of 1950s chinese superhero movies i mean this is well these are the mar- marvel movies of uh, well i mean mid-century. i think that was
2: sort of that was sort of the vibe that Ang Lee was going for. Cause you know, he'd already done like sense and sensibility and stuff like that. Uh, so he was sort of marrying the, like the, the romance drama with the martial arts stuff. And it's just, it's a weird beast, but for me it works because you kind of get that sense of magical wonder. So it plays like a fairy tale to me and that's why I like it.
0: Yeah. It, 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 it's the Matrix, except without the um, the in universe justification for why people can walk up walls and jump really long distances, mm-hmm. right? It's this. It's basically because their martial arts are so good, they can do this. You know, they've learned these techniques, and so they can just you know do crazy flippy flyy yeah. floaty things. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty damn cool to watch if you just. You, you, it's. It does the thing a Fantastical movie um, that works for me does, which is it's like, okay, I'm going to ask you to just grant me one big impossible thing, all right? If people study this shit long enough, they can do this. Okay, fine. And then it doesn't abuse that to the point where I, I resent having been asked to accept that, right? Yeah. It, right? It takes that, it respects it, and it just tries to make the best movie it can out of that conceit. And I'm, I'm there for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, this film, I think ultimately is, you know, what it's got going for it is Ang Lee and he, yeah. he makes a film in every genre, but every time he sort of subverts the genre so that he can get his you know message across so that he can do something that's more than the material, which I think right. is, you know, uh ride with the devil is that it's a Western, oh, but come on. So good. It's not a Western. Yeah. 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 So our
0: our our main character—I'm not even going to say—I guess our protagonist. She's certainly not a heroine. She's not a villain either. She's kind of both at different points in the movie. Um, you know, she wants to join the Wu Clan and uh, steal some shit because reasons. Don't fuck uh, with
1: the Wu Clan. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, but mostly it's just an excuse to get her into kung fu fights with Michelle Yeoh and Chung Young Fat. And they rule, and you're right about the Ang Lee thing, because they did eventually come back to make a sequel, and this actress refused to do the sequel unless Ang Lee was directing, and he wasn't. so yeah uh, she's not in it.. Womp, womp. yeah.:
2: well to, to me it's uh they do the overarching story where it's, it's a lot of it's about how women in these societies are oppressed and have to fill these very specific mm-hmm. roles. And so you see that played out from the young girl to Michelle Yeoh to the, the villainous of the piece, the, the governess who mm-hmm. turns out to be Jade Fox, the, the, the thief that had killed uh, Chow Yun-Fat's master. I mean, it's like this weird, interconnected, just very elaborate storyline. But through those three, you kind of see mm-hmm. uh, how rigid the system was for women, and so it's they're kind of just stuck doing that, and it's all about busting out of that. Which I think is why the girl is so wild and does all of the things she does is because she's obviously not happy with her her lot in life, and so they kind of play with that. And then at the end, she kills herself because yeah. it's like, well, shit, I've got nothing left. <laughs> this is really that's like I can either uh, yeah, live on that. Even going
0: to go for her Aladdin character, yeah. you know, the yeah. the the guy that. Maybe was
1: her true level love that wasn't her betrothed, and never mind. Yeah, yeah. It's those are there are two shots in this movie that I'm absolutely in love with. That since you said that, I gotta say this. Okay, so sorry if I'm interrupting your flow. Uh, I just okay, okay. It's when she does kill herself or pass on to the next. You know, I I, I wasn't too clear on that. That she was, you know, dead. It was ambiguous. Yeah, she was moving on to the the next spiritual who be when she, she doesn't jump off the cliff. She floats over it in, in that, that way they did that. I, something caught in my throat. I was like, that is so beautiful. The way she flies off of that balcony into the mountains. And the other is when she's squaring off against Michelle Yeoh. And, you know, one of them is extreme, uh, uh, stage left, the other stage, right. And they they pull the scabbards off their swords and throw them, and one of them comes flying right at the camera. I was like, "Oh, that's so cool! Mm-hmm. Yeah. These two are about to fuck each other up." Yeah. <laughs> the
2: staging is just phenomenal because it's it, it's very theatrical. I mean, you can see like the stage tradition almost in the way that Lee yeah like, frames it and yeah, films totally. it, and so that's always what I appreciated about it. It's almost like this is just our Chinese fairy tale myths. Sort of playing out, and that's that's why I always give it a lot of slack because it's not real. It's basically this is their their fairy tale version of uh, the Ming Dynasty or whatever it was set, and so it's it's fun to watch that.
1: Yeah, maybe I need to and pull back and say it's not shit. It's just I don't understand their myths, and I don't, you know. Yeah, I'm right. I, I'm you not raised into with them. them.
0: Right, right, right. It's like. It's like if there was a character who had been around as long as Superman that you were seeing for the first time, it wouldn't mean the same thing to you as somebody who saw Superman and had, you know, had been reading the comics the whole time. Right. The, 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 you know, you can't talk about this movie without talking about Wu Ping, right, who is the the fight choreographer and stunt coordinator, and his team, who, who did do The Matrix, you know, and... And when you think about just how fast and intricate this fight choreography is and how each move actually does have a meaning and a counter within the set and it just rattles off. And then you realize it's really being done by teams of people because they have to work all the wires yeah. to pull off these fantastic shots. Wu Ping was 55 when this movie was made. I feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm like, wow, I couldn't... Have anywhere near that kind of energy. You yeah. know, it is it is phenomenal. Well, that well, they
2: are staged well, and the fact that uh, they're not shot like a Michael Bay movie where it's like cut, 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 cut. I mean, he lingers the camera and lets it play out, yeah. and it's just the way that's that why staged. it works. Yeah, and it's I I just I had seen a few martial arts films here and there, but they weren't really something I delved into a lot so when i saw this in the theater on the big screen it just sort of overwhelmed me almost i was like holy shit and then i think i watched it like three or four times <laughs> in the theater because it was just so different from everything i had seen because all of the chop Saki stuff i had watched was you know the low grade b movie stuff and it's just
0: yeah and they use a lot of cuts to hide tricks yeah, right yeah not in this and so i mean they erased some wires but yeah but jesus
2: uh so you've got all that going on, but then you also have the tragic love story between Chow Yun Fat and Michelle Yeoh, who never pronounced mm-hmm. their feelings for each other until the end. And so that's you can see he's playing with like the sense and sensibility stuff that he had done earlier, uh, and had a big hit in '95 with with that. And so it's it's this weird blending of Eastern Western that just clicks for me. It's like it just became a massive hit worldwide because he understood, I think, how to use the two sensibilities just enough to where each portion of the globe would sort of latch on to what they liked and what they could make sense of and contextualize and it just, it's, it's an accomplishment in more ways than one for me and I'm glad that it won at least the, the best foreign picture uh, which is sort of like throwing well, the bone
0: but you know They also use the fights you know, as as character right, so you know, Michelle Yeoh is like, she's reached the point where, yeah, she's had to try really hard, you know, because you're talking about the sort of the, the life cycle for the women in that culture, and Michelle Yeoh's reached this point in her life where she's been trying hard for so long, she knows how to do everything, and she, but she's putting in the work, right? <laughs> and this other character is, is learning, and she's a little bit more spastic in her fight style, and a little more aggressive, and a little more, she does a lot more collateral damage. Yeah in her fight style, and and they're equally matched, but for different reasons. You know, Michelle Yu has expertise, she has energy, but then when when the young girl fights Chow Yun-fat, and he's the master, and his fight style is like, he's like standing up straight, good posture, calm, one hand most of the time, just fucking shit up without really, you know, even showing effort. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so... <laughs> well, that's why at the end, when, you know, uh,
2: when he... When he's fighting the Jade Fox and she's got all of the darts loaded with the poison, yeah, because uh, she's just basically going for quantity over quality at that point. And it's like he does the the mm-hmm. sword flip and knocks away all of the darts, and then only later do you realize that one managed to get through. And then you're like, oh fuck! I mean, it's just when I saw that in the yeah. theater, it just i i was i was visibly upset by. That. I was like, oh damn it, you know, because you just wanted to be so <laughs> yeah. good and like win all the time. And then it doesn't happen that way because it's a tragic romance. So it's
0: but the, the the thing I wanted to say about his fight style that I forgot to say is um, that that makes him badass only because you've seen these other two throw down before he gets in a fight. Yeah, right. So you know how intense their fighting style is and, and it, what exactly he is he's up against, and it just it just works. Works yeah. gangbusters.
2: Well, by the time you get to the end fight scene. And they're bouncing along the bamboo forest. I mean, it's just, it's almost like ballet. I mean, it's just literally unlike anything I had seen in any sort of kung fu. Yeah. And it's just, it was so theatrical, but at the same time, you get sucked in because it's just, it's almost like a visual poem almost. And it was just so well done. And then I will admit, after that, I started watching a few more of the classic kung fu stuff just to see what the genesis of to this was. And you start seeing how it's sort of paying homage to so much stuff. Like there's the whole sequence when she's in the tea house and just kicks everybody's ass. I mean, that's lifted pretty much Mm -hmm. from a movie called come drink with me, which was a Shaw brothers movie from like the late sixties, I guess. And normally I would be irritated by that because if a guy like Tarantino does it and kill bill, which he does. Mm-hmm. I'm so furious. <laughs> but when Ang Lee does it, it almost, it feels okay. It's like, because he's not doing it a shot for shot, move for move, rip off. He's basically just taking that uh, s- scenario and sort of just weaving it into this tapestry and sort of making it like, well, these are the ingredients of our culture and here you go. I don't know how to explain it, but I, I'm not mad when Ang Lee does it, but I'm furious when someone like Tarantino does it.
1: think I think that was one of the things that bugged me, though, was that this is a reference that I'm apparently supposed to know, and I obviously don't. So I don't know what to do with it. Hmm. Well, I'm. So I, the shorthand isn't there. Well, but
2: to me, yeah. it's uh, that that's more of those like rediscovery down the road kind of things. It's like because I didn't know what it was a reference to, and then I watched that "Come Drink with the movie, and I went, "Holy shit, this is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon." And then it all starts to contextualize a little bit for me, and then it it becomes better somehow. I don't know how to explain it, but it's the sequence so, of crouching tiger is just so well done. Cause it's just, she's just this cocky kid and she literally beats the shit out of everybody and destroys the, the tea house.
0: And it just, it's so well done. It's such a good scene. So speaking of, of references, one of the things that, that struck me, um, as you know, I've been playing the shit out of this game, Elden ring, um, which is, the latest from the guys that make dark souls and bloodborne and it's it's this huge you know ancient world with swords and all kinds of crazy weapons and and monsters and and stuff and i'm watching crouching tiger and i'm like boy the concept artists for elden ring were using this as reference boy were they really really using this as reference like right? the lighting the color a lot of the weapons um it's, it's clearly been a, itself a big influence on other things that have come since Crouching Tiger.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it definitely had an influence, uh, for sure. But not so much in Eng Lee's career, though. Because like Eric said, he's, he's very much just one who moves from genre to genre to genre with mixed results. But the fact that his follow-up to this one was Hulk is still the most baffling thing to me. <laughs> At in any uh, Hollywood store, It's like how how do you go from crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon to Hulk? I mean, it just it's they're so disparate in as far as films. It yeah, just
1: that, baffles. That had to be a thing where it's like, we wanna give you a license to do whatever the fuck you want, but first we're gonna need to audition you with a big budget film gear yeah. or and something. I don't know. Yeah.
2: But then he follows up yeah. Hulk with Brokeback Mountain and then everything's right with the world again. I mean, it's just like it's this weird roller coaster. Kind of a deal, uh, but
1: and, and th- this is the Joy Luck Club guy too. You would have thought he would have stuck to that. It's like he's always having a su- He's always having a success where you go, why, why didn't he stick with that thing? Well, it's because he's he's a mover and a shaker. He does what he wants. Yeah.
2: Well, you brought Ride right with the Devil earlier, and that is still like that's a, a gut punch
1: of a movie. Uh, I I just oh, I, I remember seeing that, that in the
2: theater and just being like, oh my god, what did I just watch? And then, of course, yeah. right you want to see
1: Tobey Maguire as a badass. This is kind of your best chance. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> and not Spider-Man. But then it's like you look at his later career, it's like, I think you're the only one here who's seen Gemini Man, Brian. And I'm, I'm shocked that that was oh. Ang Lee. I just couldn't, I couldn't even reconcile yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tech reel. A more than it was a movie yeah <laughs> right that was that was okay will smith has failed to get his son jaden's acting career off the ground so now he's got to start making movies again to pay the bills <laughs> can we can we make him look young so we can do this longer i think that was kind of what that was yeah. like they're just prototyping
1: deep fake will smith yeah you know <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah i i do think that was a will smith idea though now that the world understands how how thin his skin is and how big his ego is at some point he said i think we should do a movie where i team up with the young version of me so everyone can enjoy all aspects of will Smithness. Yeah. we are all ultimately becoming will smith yeah but he was probably
2: and i want the guy that made hulk to do it he probably didn't reference any of the other good stuff uh
0: yeah. He's he's like I want a guy who who understands how to do big weird technical shoots,
1: but who also is down on his luck and needs needs a paycheck. Yeah, needs a, he, I was don't a, know. he wasn't so much down on his luck. He had just done Life of Pi, which had and a that's, ton that's of nominations. True. That was like
2: that was like seven yeah, years and early. actually
0: the, yeah, that was a that was probably why he got Gemini. Now that I think about, because that was like all shot. You know, that was practically like yeah. that. John Favreau Jungle Book that thing. Yeah, it was it was all fake.
2: So. let me ask you this brian when when you're watching crouching tiger uh were you able to follow along reasonably well because there's that whole just weird shift in the middle where they do the origin story of the girl and yeah dark cloud
0: yeah no it all it all flowed it all made sense okay it was not it was it was very well told it was big operatic epic story yeah no problems
2: okay because some, sometimes I'll talk to people and that's like, that sticks in their craw. Where it's like, well, it was moving along, and then they just do that weird flashback for 30 minutes or whatever.
0: Oh, oh I mean, it's endless. Yeah. Right? Like, that, that flashback just <laughs> goes like, on yeah. and
2: on and Much on. looks like their fight. But. <laughs> in the desert, yeah. So. Yeah.
1: I, I do like also remember having desert. conversations like, where, where are the tigers and the dragons in this film? And then somebody explained to me, well, the, 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 the tiger is crouching below the, the frame. And mm. the dragon is hidden. Yeah. It's oh. there in the title. Yeah, there Duh. you go. Duh. Yeah, they're there. It's just that they're like, they're like sort of sneaking around the camera in junk. Uh, yeah. At one point, that fight in
0: the desert over the jade cone, I think I turned to my wife and I just said, I want my two dollars, you know. Yeah. but um... It
2: just went on forever. It was that. literally like, like, uh, <laughs> the fight and they live. Only in the desert, in the Gobi. I mean, it was yeah. just on and on and on and on. But one thing I enjoy about the, the way they made it, though, is because it's it was made in Beijing. But the only actor in the entire group that actually spoke with the Mandarin accent was the girl, Zhang Ziyi. And, like, everyone else had a totally different accent. And apparently at some point it was like you couldn't really understand what half of them were saying. Uh, when you're on set. Yeah,
0: apparently Michelle Yeoh's accent is not good. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I Well, because she's
2: like Malaysian and she speaks English and Chow yun Fat speaks Cantonese, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like, I've, I just, that's hard to think about. Uh,
1: yeah. Because when, China, when, because when uh, Chow Young Fat did the replacement killers with, yeah. um, with, with Mira Mia Mia, Sorvino, yeah. he said basically her Chinese is better than mine because she actually <laughs> <laughs> studied.
2: Yeah. And so it's just can you I can't imagine doing the scenes where like nobody knows what's going on because everybody's accent is just totally wrong. <laughs> so it's just
0: well but that's also why it works as a subtitled movie is yeah. that everything is so big and operatic and cinematic that the I mean the tone of voice is important more than the words, right? And the, and you get you get it without having to it's 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 not like, you know. Oh, I'm trying to think of the name of that guy who's been writing all these screenplays that thinks so highly of himself that just did uh, *Being cardos in *The West Wing*. You know, it's not it's not one of his. Oh, Aaron, Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Sorkin. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, it's not Aaron Sorkin, right? It's it's *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think just technically the movie just hits on all cylinders for me, and then by the end you get to the the score, and they actually get Yo Yo Ma. To do the cello stuff, and it's just so melancholy, and just it fits perfectly with the entire mood of the piece. And it's just you know, like I say, when I watch it, I kind of just suspend all disbelief, and I just sort of float into it, and just let it take me for the ride. And it's just, but that's what that's what does the trick is that cello, the Yo-Yo Ma bit, uh, kind of floats you above it all, I guess. So it's just technically a, a marvel. Chef's kiss for me. Yeah. So
1: I was just actually thinking about like the the idea that they all have different accents because they're all from different places. And I was like, well, what if they did that with where it's just like just just generally white people in a movie? Oh yeah, that's a Marvel movie. Like they're from everywhere. (laughs) Why does Thor have a British accent? You know, why does anybody have an anything (laughs) accent? What's going on here? Yeah,
2: it's uh, it's crazy. But there you have it.
1: Anyway,
0: you yeah. You happy you watched it? Hidden Dragon. I am. I'm happy I watched it. Put it. Put another notch in my uh, in my belt there. Another early 2000s movie that now I've seen, and uh, I'm slightly dumber and slightly more culturally literate, and and that is not incongruous. So <laughs> not for yeah. this
2: podcast. Anyway,
0: nope. And if, and and honestly, if you if you dug that, check out the rest of the podcast. And you can do that. You can do that by subscribing to the podcast. Uh, be sure to rate it on iTunes so that we spread the love. Share it on your social media feeds. Spread, spread, spread that love. Yeah. Um. And then, ooh, that didn't sound the way I intended it. Oh well. <laughs> like a um, like butter. Hey, uh, tell butter. me you were offended. Tweet at us. We're at maghuge Huge M A G H uh, U G E. We're Magnificent Huge Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can email. Magn huge at gmail.com and and yeah tell us uh, tell us what you want to hear. We, we can do shows totally.